0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: Turn over to Acts chapter 21. So we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and we're coming towards the end of, of this book, and we're still discovering here in Paul's life of what exactly it is that's going on, and what Paul is doing, and how the Lord is leading him Each step of the way, and so um, I want to just start this morning, though, by going back and sharing a bit of the song that we just sang, because I want you to grasp that, and I want you to catch that song. Um, Towards the end of this song, I didn't have it open on the song, but I want you to to grasp this, because we sang the words. And uh, it's hard to catch the word sometimes. It says, when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always live this these words. When everything around me is shaken, I'm usually not glad. I'm not the one that defaults to, oh, this is great. Everything around me is shaken. I'm just going to be glad, and I'm just going to be happy in this. Uh, but we sang these words, Right? And we raise our hands and worship, and we say, yep, God is faithful. And even though everything around me is shaken, I'm still going to be glad. So I was wrestling this past week. Uh, we had a chapel on Thursday. And in our chapel service, something uh, that Pastor Brooke puts together periodically for us is a, a chapel panel. And so she'll, ch- she'll choose some experts. I don't know why I was a part of this panel. Um, I was the one, I think, bringing the experts back to normalcy for the rest of us here. But one of the questions in this panel that um, she actually gave us to answer, uh, the, the students will put together some questions that, that has been on their mind. And one of those questions is a great question. It says, Whenever, why is it that good things happen, or why is it that bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I wrestled with that question. I mean, I was going to give the typical Sunday school answer, right? And so I was just going to give that. But I, I really wrestled with that question in preparing for the chapel on Thursday. Because I wanted our kids uh, that were a part of chapel to stand on the truth of God's Word. And I wanted them to not to just have this typical Sunday school answer that's going to make us all feel good, and it's, we're all going to feel happy, and, and everything's going to just be great. But instead, I wanted them to actually get the truth of God's Word. And so I wrestled with this question. I, I read some blogs. I read online. Uh, I, I got into the Scripture. And I wanted to see what the early church actually believed about this. And then... As I answered that question later that afternoon, it it hit me, this is what we've got to talk about on Sunday morning. Have you ever experienced a moment in your life that you think that God is confused? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, Like you just think, God, what in the world is going on? Like, are you confused? Like, I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is always in control. We stand on the truth of God's word that He gives us the government, the rulers that we actually need. But come on, God. Like, it just seems like sometimes I think you're confused and the world is actually spinning out of control. Like, you you see it this week that that the country of Israel is attacked. You see what's happening in Russia and uh, the Ukraine. We see what's going on in other parts of the world, and we just start to think, man, God, are you really in control? Why is all of this bad stuff happening? And Bad stuff's happening to bad people, and bad stuff's happening to good people. And it seems like, you can look it up, a number of believers are getting killed for their faith, even right now as we gather here in this morning. Like, are you confused, God? Like, are you really in control with everything? And if you are in control, then why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? But then to bring it into our own lives... Every one of us have experienced things that has shaken our faith sometime. Maybe it's a phone call from a doctor. Maybe it's tension in a relationship that causes somebody to walk away from the relationship. Maybe it's a crazy unexpected bill that you're just like, what in the world? I do not have any more funds for that. Every one of us have experienced those things. And the human nature, the default for the flesh in each one of us, if we'll be honest with ourselves, regardless of how strong you are in the faith or how long you've walked with the Lord, sometimes that default for us is, God, are you confused? Because this was not in the plan that you and I had actually discussed. This isn't in the Lord ordering my steps that I read in the Scripture that I just think, oh yeah, I'm going to go into this pit and everything around me shaken, but the default in me is I'm just going to be glad and I'm just going to be happy and I'm just going to live in that. What do we do in those moments? You know, Acts chapter 21 is that moment for the Apostle Paul. We've been studying about Paul's life, and we look back across Paul's life, and we see how God has miraculously used him time and time and time and time again. But God keeps saying to Paul, you have to go to Jerusalem. And in this passage of Scripture that we're going to read in Acts chapter 21 today, God uh, will go back to 20 and, and grab this because it directs us in 21. Uh, but God says to Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is everywhere you go and at the end, you're going to experience prison and you're going to experience these hard times. Well, how in the world, if we're going to experience prison and if we're going to experience hard times and Paul knows they're going to take his life, when everything around him shaken, how can he live in the glad moments of life? Like, I don't know about you, but there are parts, I'll, I'll go to, um, to Jacksonville, where we used to live in Jacksonville. Melissa was born and raised in Jacksonville. I met her there. I lived there for 13 years. But there are some parts of Jacksonville that you do not go to. And the reason you do not go to that part of town is because you might risk your life in going into those parts of town. But what the apostle Paul is doing in this moment is he's saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I know that they're going to take my life. But yet he's glad, and he's doing it out of obedience to the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, why is it that bad things happen to good people? And we have to resolve that inside of us. Have you ever read in the book of Job, chapter 14, verse 1? It says, Mortals born out of woman, that's us, every one of us, are a few days and full of trouble. Have you ever lived that scripture? Yeah. Few days and full of trouble. Have you ever worked at that job? Right? Lots of trouble. I don't want to go there because there's lots. But Job is telling us our days are numbered. And in those days that are actually numbered, there's going to be a lot of trouble in those days. We think, well, that's Old Testament, right? We're not in the Old Testament anymore. Maybe that's just something that Job went through because we know the trials of Job. We know the troubles of Job. But let me give you Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said these, I've told you all of these things. In essence, he's saying, I have taught you stuff. I have given you the truth of God himself for this reason. Now listen, so that in me you may have peace. Now all of us think, oh, I love this verse, right? Because the promise of Jesus is in him we're going to experience peace. But Jesus didn't end there. There's a last part of verse 33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, thanks, God, right? I'm all for the peace part. I'm all for the joy that we sang about this morning. But I'm not all for the troubles, and I'm not all for the part that says everything around me is shaken, And then Jesus gives us the hope that we actually need as his sons and his daughters when he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He says, in the world, there's going to be troubles, but don't worry about that, because I have already overcome the world. And we live out Paul's life, or we read about Paul's life in Acts chapter 21. Would you follow along with me? And we're going to read at verse 17. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Last week, uh, we read the beginning of Acts chapter 21, verse 1 through 16. And then now we'll finish this up. Verse 17 of Acts 21. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And so let's stop here for just a second and rethink Paul's life. So Paul has this knowledge from the Holy Spirit that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to get arrested, and Paul knows that he's going to have to give his life for this. They didn't drag Paul. They didn't arrest Paul and haul him off to Jerusalem. Paul was just obedient. The Holy Spirit said, go, and Paul went. He gets there. He finds the elders of the church. He tells them what's taking place from these three missionary journeys that he's been on and how thousands of people have given their life to Jesus. And it excites the believers. They're overwhelmed. They were warmly welcomed. And then verse 20, it says, when they heard this, they praised God. They were excited Because countless people had given their life, surrendered to Jesus Christ. Our brothers and our sisters is what they actually became. And then what we begin to see through the works of Paul is people giving their life to Jesus as a result of Paul's ministry started having children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, if you will, in the spiritual faith. Believers started leading other people in relationship. And then those people went out and shared the gospel. And so there's this great uh, spiritual ancestry that is actually being built here. All out of Paul's relationship and walk with the Lord. And it overjoys the elders and the believers in Jerusalem when Paul arrives there. It says, Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? And all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. What shall we do? They'll certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then when he went to the temple to give notice of the date of which the days of purification would come to an end, and the, and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions seizing Paul They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting away with him. You can read the rest of the chapter. There are just a few verses there. And we see that there's this great mob whenever they actually find out that Paul is who he actually is. And some people are quite uh, upset that here is this man that are teaching Jesus Christ. And he's teaching the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we no longer have to live under that law, but instead we can live in relationship with God and in filled with His Spirit so that we can experience God's presence every single day. This was the message of the Apostle Paul. And there were some people that were very upset that Paul had now come back to Jerusalem. If you'll notice in that last section that we actually read... One of the things that is said about Paul, some people said one thing and some people said something else. And I want to point this out because what you have to be resolved before we actually get to a conflict in life or struggles in life or those hard moments in life where bad things happen to good people, before we ever get to those moments, we have to know who we are in Jesus Christ. We have to know that we are his sons or his daughters, that we are his children and that he is our father. We have to be resolved of our identity in who he says he is. Because here in the attack of the enemy, some people are saying one thing and some other people are saying something else. And what God has revealed in the end of Acts chapter 21 is that the liar, the enemy, will constantly bombard us with things to lead us off of mission. But Paul was determined of what God had told him, and he was going to walk forward in that despite the hardship and despite everything around him actually being shaken. The enemy is a liar, And his mission is to raise up some people to say one thing and raise up some people to say something else against you. But you have to know the truth that he's actually spoken over you. And so before you get to those hard moments in life, we have to do the hard work of knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. Because when troubles come, some people are going to say one thing, Some people are going to say something else, but we have to march forward with the voice of God that he has actually given to each one of us. The promise from Job, the promise from Jesus himself, is that in life we're going to face a lot of struggles, that we are going to face a lot of battles. And in Paul's life, and sometimes in our life, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. But what Paul is doing here in Acts chapter 20 and in Acts chapter 21 is he is showing us how to have confidence in God in the midst of a crisis that is surrounding him. When everything around him is shaken, as the song says, Paul is saying, let me show you, let me model for you how you have confidence in God and walk forward and truly experience his joy. What Paul is saying is, you don't put your confidence in yourself. That's the American way, right? What do we say to people? Just believe in yourself, and you can do anything. Well, that's a lie from the enemy. If you believe in yourself, then what do you do when you eventually mess up? Or when you stumble? You see, you've put your faith in self... And self has stumbled in those moments. But whenever you put your faith in God as our father, we as his sons and daughters, then he never stumbles. And Paul has put his faith in God and in God alone. And his entire, at this point, his entire life and his entire ministry are now on the brink of extinction. Paul knows they're going to take his life. They just here arrested him, and it says that they are trying to kill him, and the entire city is in an uproar. There's such an uproar taking place. There's so much shaken in this city that the Roman soldiers have to come in and intervene. And then the scripture tells us that the mob kept pressing and kept pressing to the point that the Roman soldiers weren't able to do what they wanted to do and they actually had to carry Paul and take him into the barracks and chain him. But Paul, but Paul... Stays confident in God Almighty. He's confident because he knows who he is and whose he actually is. And Paul says, I think, I think Paul would tell us take my life if you want to take my life, take my belongings if you want to take my belongings. Because when everything around me is shaken, I still have joy. Because I know the Lord, and the Lord knows me. But let's be real for a minute. I mean, my goodness, when I read this passage of Scripture, like this is reason enough for us to panic, right? Like take yourself and insert yourself into this reality as the Apostle Paul. Like, honestly, I don't know that I would have been like Paul in this moment. I know the panic that I would have actually had. And I know that I probably, whenever I got to Jerusalem, well, honestly, I don't know that I would have gotten to Jerusalem. I don't know that I would have gone there. I I probably would have gone somewhere else. I may have been a Jonah in that moment. Like, and, and honest, if we would be honest with ourselves, in the comforts and the privileges and the freedoms that we have as Americans, this type of of persecution is something that none of us have experienced. They were killing Paul here. After Paul had already had attempts on his life two or three additional times on his missionary journeys. But Paul is not panicking. What would... What would you do in this situation? Or what would you do if you heard some threatening news that affected your future or maybe your entire life? We have to see what Paul did here. And in Acts chapter 27, I've highlighted the very end of that verse because we have to see what Paul did. He goes to the city. He knows he's going to get arrested. Uh, the, James and some of the other elders actually give him some insight. And look what Paul did. The last part of Acts 21 verse uh, 27 says, "Paul." they saw Paul at the temple. Paul went to church. Paul went to the, the, the meeting place with the believers. I don't know that that would be my action. I don't know that that would be my steps. If they're coming for me, I don't know that I'm coming to 1730 South Ridgewood Avenue in South Daytona. Like, if they're going to take my life, I may be going the opposite direction. But what was Paul's response? Paul turned to God. Paul trusted God in total, 100% in this very moment, to the point that he actually went to the temple. Knowing that there would be some people at the temple that were committed to the law above a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they would then uh, bring about the chaos that would eventually lead to Paul being arrested. But you know what Paul did? He didn't run from God. He turned to God. Why was that the case? Because long before that moment, Paul had already resolved this with Jesus Christ, Paul had already sat in the presence of God, of God. Paul had already wrestled in prayer and in studying the Word. Paul had already had a conversation with God about this very moment. It happens in Acts chapter 20. If we go back to Acts chapter 20, let me put up verse 22, 23, and 24 for you. This is what Paul says. And now, and I've highlighted a couple of things that I want you to catch from these few verses. We talked about these two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. But I didn't break down these verses specifically until this moment because I want you to catch the resolve that's in Paul's heart. But he had done the work uh, days, maybe even weeks before that. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, 23, and 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit... Compelled by the Spirit, Paul went into the tension. Despite my, I'll I'll confess, I won't bring you into this, but I think it's the majority of us, despite our natural reaction is to turn away from the tension. Paul's going with God. He's just going to go with God because he's compelled by the Spirit. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Now, he has some sense of what's going to happen, and we see that in Paul's actual conversations here. But he doesn't know. He's like, I'm just blindly walking with the Lord. Have you ever used those words? I'm just blindly walking with the Lord. There is some truth to that. But in, honest, in honesty, Paul's not walking blind with the Lord. He has resolved. He's now compelled by the Spirit. God is pouring into Paul, and Paul is saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll go. I'm compelled by the Spirit. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God is actually going with me. These verses go on. and it says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now watch this next part my only aim this is paul's only aim his only goal he said i don't care if it's prison i don't care if it's the comforts of being with the believers i don't care if it's a lot i don't care if it's nothing Paul's like, I don't care. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Do you see Paul's resolve in his heart? Knowing that everywhere he goes, the Holy Spirit says, there's going to be problems. There's going to be prison. You might get beaten to the end of your life. But his only aim is forget about all of that stuff and to finish the race and the task that the Lord Jesus has actually given to him. And church, I believe that the Holy Spirit has given us a mission as a refuge of grace to be this resolved in our heart that whatever struggles, whatever hardship, and no matter what the world looks like, if we feel that it's actually spinning out of control, the resolve that we have to have, our only aim must be to finish the race and the task that the Lord Jesus actually has for us. So the question has to be, what is that task? What is that task? There are some amazing people that are a part of this church. And if we look back across our 92, 93-year history of this church, or 91-year history of this church, there have been some amazing, amazing people, some pillars of the faith that have been here. And while they can give us some clues of what the task actually is, I believe that the task is revealed when we are in relationship ourselves with Jesus Christ. And that resolve that Paul said, my only aim is to finish the race and the task that the Lord Jesus has for me Paul knew that task because he had spent time with the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him. So Paul was able to get up and go in confidence. And that's where God wants each one of us to be as well. And so Paul has given us some direction here, some instructions of what we must have in order to actually do what God has asked of us, the task that he actually has for us. But you know what this requires? It requires the mindset and the actions of the Apostle Paul. Paul humbled himself before God and other peoples. Paul humbled himself. So I want to ask you to write something, write something down, if you would. Take a photo of it. Because this is the first step in living out Paul's life. the the pattern that Paul has given to us here. We have to get ourselves out of God's way. God's will done God's way does not require our help. It doesn't. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. He chooses us. And there's a significant difference there. God chooses to use us and the invitation from God is will you join him in his work not will you go create something so that God can actually bless it that's not how God works God works and we join God in that work that he's actually doing and that's what Paul is doing Paul is not saying, hey, I'm going to go over here to Ephesus, or I'm going to go down to this. I, I'm going to go do all of this, and I'm going to help God out, and I'm going to do everything I can to try to bring people to God, and I'm just going to go preach the gospel, and, and I'm going to ask God to bless what I'm actually doing. That's not, how, that's not how Paul ever worked, and that's not how he's working here in Acts 20 and Acts chapter 21. Paul sat with the Lord, The Lord revealed to Paul what the path was and then Paul just went out and he walked in obedience. Because the truth of the matter is God's blessing will always be on the work that he's doing. Because God's presence itself brings or ushers in the blessing. So Paul here is In essence, this is, this is my takeaway from this. Paul is saying, God, I'm just going to get out of your way. I'm not going to stand in the way of what you desire for me, for other people, or for anybody or anything. I'm just going to get out of your way. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to figure out how you're working, and then I'm just going to come and join you in that work. I'm not going to go out and try to conjure something up. I'm not going to go out and try to make something happen for you. I'm just going to follow you and join you in that specific work. And think about it. Paul didn't run away. God's work was hard and actually cost Paul his life. But Paul didn't run away from it. Instead, he ran into the will of God. So I want to give you a couple of verses. Thinking about hardships in our life thinking about hard moments in our life thinking about those times that bad things if you will happen to good people one of the scriptures that we drive immediately to is romans 8:28 and it's a great verse it is such an encouraging verse romans 8:28 says paul paul says and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And we go to this verse and we think, yes, God's working good, good things to those who actually love him. But what we actually focus on are the good things. Our focus in our mind is not what the intention of this verse actually is. We say God's working good things and we want to see those good things. We want to bring those good things into our life. We want to figure out what those good things are. We want to focus on good things. We seek those good things. We beg God for those good things. And we go to Romans 8, 28, and we say, I've got good things on the way. Because I love God, and I'm called according to his purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking after God. I'm doing everything I can. So that just means that good things are coming. Well, how do you tell that to Paul when he just got arrested and he's been—they're—they're uh, they're trying to kill him. They've almost taken his life, and Paul knows. Paul knows that they are going to kill him. How do you tell that to Paul when you're focusing on Romans 8:28 in the wrong way? Then you're thinking, "Where's the good in what Paul's actually going through?" And we're actually wrestling with this, and we're thinking, where's the good things? Where's the good things? You're focusing on the wrong part of this verse. Here's the focus that we have to have on this verse. For we know that in all things, God works. Forget the rest of it. Ignore with me just for a moment the last part of this verse. Because if the promise of God that is always with us, then we know that God is actually at work. And if God is at work in a situation, the only thing that can come of it is actually good. This verse is one that we twist around that causes us to seek the good things instead of the one who actually gives the good things. And in hard moments of our life, when it seems like our world is spinning out of control, when it seems like bad things are happening to good people, we start looking for the good things and we start searching for those things and we're looking under every rock, we're opening every door that we can find. Where's the good thing? Where's the good thing? When the truth of the matter is we should live the way Paul does and stop seeking the good things and start seeking the one who is good in and of himself. Paul says, God is at work. And listen, if God is at work, then good things do come. And this verse is important in its entirety, Romans eight twenty eight. But we have to learn from this verse in everything, despite what we perceive in the moment as good or bad, God is at work. And what an encouragement that has to be for our soul. What peace it has to give us in our soul to know that in everything God is at work. When I get a good phone call from a doctor or I get a bad phone call from a doctor, God is at work. Whether I go home and it's chaos or peace, God is at work. Whether I've got 10 figures in my checking account or I've got 10 cents in my checking account, God is at work. And listen, this is what has to drive us, to compel us to the task that God actually has for us, is God is at work. And the invitation from God himself is, will you join him? Will you walk forward in obedience in the way that Paul has? If Paul was just looking for good things, if Paul was just looking for the good, he would have never gone to Jerusalem where they would arrest him and beat him and take his life. God was at work. And Paul said, I don't care what happens to me. If God is at work, then I just want to be where God is at. This is the resolve and a refuge of grace that we have to have. Because there are so many people that are outside of these walls that are living in chaos. And listen, they can't sing the song that we just sang this morning. I've got joy and chaos they don't have joy. They just have chaos. And if we don't resolve to live that the way the apostle Paul has in this refuge of grace, then what happens is those that are in chaos latch onto us and bring us deeper into chaos. And if we step into chaotic moments of people that are living in chaos and we're living Romans 8, 28 the wrong way and we're just looking for good things, then we will miss the work of God and we will miss His presence in every situation in our life. We have to resolve this morning what our focus is. Are you focusing on the bad things that may be happening to good people? Are you yourself? Are you focusing on the mess or the chaos? Are you focusing on the junk that's just out there that you have to wade through from time to time? Are you focusing on Jesus Christ? Because it's only when you focus on Jesus that you will experience joy in chaos listen i know it seems like sometimes that god is confused he's not at work and he doesn't know what's going on because with the chaos there's no way in the world it could ever be a god who's at work in that situation but i promise you he is he is The question is, what is your resolve and what are you looking at? Are you overwhelmed by the mountain of chaos? Or are you resting in the hands of an almighty God who's at work in everything? This morning, I want to ask you to lay everything at his feet. The good that you may be experiencing, the hard that you may be experiencing, the chaos or the peace that you may be experiencing. Because this is the resolve that the Apostle Paul has shown us that we have to have. God, I'm just going to surrender every moment and everything to you so that when everything around me is shaken,
0: I still have your joy. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.